everybody, it's Play to Innovate, the innovation show that goes beyond the hype. Now here's your host, my dad, Brett Schwab. Welcome to another episode of Play to Innovate. Today I want to talk to you about setting limits to improve your projects. When I was in college, I went to school for industrial design, and our professors drilled into our heads the importance of using our resources efficiently. We did projects straight out of the box from freshman year where it was design a ping pong ball holder out of one sheet of paper and whoever designed the most efficient use of that paper won all the way to senior year where we were doing uh, sort of real world projects but they also judged us on how efficiently we used the materials in that project. Still, as students, we were all pretty much broke but required to buy our own materials. So if we needed modeling foam or a Dremel tool or anything, really, we paid for it. The only resource we had were the more industrial-sized pieces of machinery like bandsaws or lathes or things like that. And so we learned to really use our personal resources efficiently. So you'd think that uh, I would kind of have that mentality, And the irony was, when I was a new grad, I thought I was about to enter a world where I would always have all the resources I needed to accomplish my projects. Okay, so now when you stop laughing, I'll continue. But the reality, of course, was that I entered a world where it was limited budgets, limited resources, limited team sizes, things like that. So even when I started off working for a large Fortune 50 company, I often had no budget. I often had no back-end support, technically speaking, such as servers or whatever. I often had no people to help me. Now, the benefit to that experience is that it taught me how to find free resources or very low-cost resources that were almost comparable to something that you'd actually pay for. It taught me new skills as I learned how to uh, I learned how to code software or code websites that were very complex. And it helped me to discover new technologies as I continued to learn about how to accomplish these projects that had no budget, no people, and no resources. Now, even in my personal projects, I continue to set tight limits. So I will challenge myself to find new ways of doing things, or I'll limit my time and things like that, just to make sure that I continue to uh, stay sharp, I guess. Now, the belief that I was going to come out of school and find unlimited resources really started in, in college. It started from when I was an intern, and anytime I needed something for a project, I was told to just expense it, you know, just kind of essentially add it to the budget for the project. What I didn't realize until looking back is that I never really required anything more than 20 or $30 worth of material or maybe a new tool or whatever that now became the company's. And so it really wasn't necessarily unlimited budget. It's just that I didn't require many resources. Now, there were times where I've had projects that had large budgets, large teams, and all the resources that I could manage. So I've taken some time to look back and compare those projects with the ones that lacked key resources. And I found that the ones that lacked key resources taught me four significant things. First, 
it taught me that um, limited resources tend to make things turn out better. I'll get into that in a second. But also throwing more money, time, and people at a project actually tended to hinder things. I'll talk about that in a second, too. But I also learned that even though I was uncomfortable at the time with this limit of resources, I actually learned to deal with it, and I learned that I could handle it, which also led to this fourth lesson that I no longer had to fear a lack of resources. In fact, I actually grew confident in the face of a lack of resources because over time I learned that I could handle it. I learned that I was able to find substitutes or people to help me in general that uh, allowed me to handle it. So I gained confidence over that. But the thing about throwing more money, time, and people at a project tended to mean that there were more people involved that had a stake in the whole thing. And that meant that they felt that they had an opinion that meant something. And uh, I will talk more about things like that in another episode. But just realize that just because you're on a project doesn't mean that you have to have an opinion. And in fact, you can be there to serve your one function and then just kind of let other people do their job too. Early in my career, I was a little surprised to run into people who felt that just because they had a title or they were a part of a project, that meant that they had to have an opinion. I can't count the number of times somebody would come back two weeks later or three weeks later and say, you know what, we should really change that word when the whole thing has been out the door for two, three weeks. But that's the same reason that limited resources also lead to better projects. You tend to have to think more. You have to find solutions that are more creative, which keeps you in a more creative mindset. That doesn't mean that a lack of resources is always a good thing. And it doesn't mean that any lack of resources is workable because there are times where you are going to run into a lack of resources to the point that you can't continue on. For me, I will pretty much butt my head up against the wall to find a solution for as long as it takes because I know that there most likely is a solution. What I'm talking about is that when you get to a point where you're, you lack so many resources that the solution that you can provide is not as good as it needs to be. So there may be a point at which you say, you know what, let's not continue until we can figure out the whole resource issue. Okay, I'll touch on that more later, but for now, let's talk about some of the benefits to limits. And there are many of them, but here are my top five picks. As I touched on earlier, limits force us to be more creative. I mean, the bigger the limit, the more creative we have to, to be. I mean, think about some of the limits that you've run into where you had to uh, really find a creative solution to something. The first time I was introduced to the napkin bandage when it was when I was a little kid, we were on a hike. Uh, I was on a hike with my parents and I got a cut. Well, they didn't have any bandages, you know, adhesive bandages, but my mom had a napkin. So she took it out, folded it a little bit and tied it around my finger. And that actually worked really well. And when we got home, I was able to get a bandage, but by then everything was fine. So it was that kind of solution, though, that creative solution, that emergency solution, if you will, that 
kind of got me thinking that there's more to life than just what we're handed. And it's a little thing, I know, but as a little kid, it made an impression. Now, when you have bigger limits, that might mean that you need to change the rules or change your or your client's expectations or even the project's criteria. But as long as you're able to stay focused on the end result that you're going for and achieve the benefits of that end result, the way you get there doesn't necessarily matter all that much within limits, of course. But the more you work around limits that you're handed, the more creative you'll find yourself becoming. As you learn to work around a limit and find a creative solution, you're able to take the concepts you used on that project and apply them to the next time you have a limit, which will most likely be your next project. To do this, uh, I had asked questions, and I, I know I talk about questions a lot. They are extremely important and some of my favorite things to do. But two of my favorite questions that will help you find creative ways around limits is to ask what if and does it really have to be? And exploring the answers to those questions will lead to solutions that you probably never would have thought of otherwise. So, for example, let's say you're designing a new coat, so a new overcoat, but you're told that it can only cost $5 a unit to produce. Well, it might help you to ask yourself, does it really have to be a coat? And what if it was something else? What would it be? Now, maybe some of you fashion design people out there are saying, yeah, $5 a coat, that's pretty generous. But what if we actually ratchet down those requirements a little bit and say, it has to be produced for $5 a unit, but it's actually supposed to be a relatively high-end coat. Well, now you start having to ask yourself some serious what if and does it really have to be questions. So does it really have to be made out of a luxury material or you know, can it be more marketing than product, things like that? And you'll see a lot of stuff out there like $50 t-shirts and things like that that you're trying to figure out why it's so expensive. Now, you might be saying, hey, that's a pretty ridiculous uh, example there. But what if I now said, hey, I want you to produce a piece of lab equipment. It's called a centrifuge. It's used to spin fluids in a beaker, uh, such as blood, to separate them so you can analyze the different components. And instead of it being a $1,000 unit, you have uh, basically a dollar per unit. That sounds pretty impossible, right? I mean, that sounds like it can't be done. But there's some researchers at Stanford who have done just that. They took one sheet of paper and some string and turned it into a centrifuge. And this, this centrifuge can now be used to test blood samples in third world countries to see if a patient has a specific disease or not. And it's made out of a single sheet of paper, a piece of string, Anybody can operate it. Anybody can make one. Now, that might not eliminate the technical requirements of knowing how to analyze the blood sample. But point being, they asked, does it really have to be? Does it really have to be this machine? Does it really have to be a desktop unit? And what if it was something else? In this case, they used a concept from an old-fashioned toy where you spin a disc between two strings that you kind of pull back and forth and it just make you know, in the case of the toy, it makes a sound. In case of the centrifuge, it helps you analyze blood samples. So severe limits can help us think more creatively and find solutions we never would have considered had we had more resources 
to essentially not consider them. But the limits also give us direction and focus, which is my second lesson. In the case of the Stanford researchers, they stuck with the direction and they stayed focused on creating something that could be used to separate blood, something that spun. So they distilled it down to the, the end result that they were going for and the benefits to that end result. But picture this scene. You're in your cool Jeep. You're driving out in the middle of the Serengeti Plain. Uh, you're in a spot where there are no roads. And so uh, you're just kind of enjoying the scenery and tooling around. No particular destination. So it's pleasant enough and you get to see the sights, but mostly it's entertainment. Now imagine you see two angry rhinoceroses headed in your direction. Now what if I told you that in Africa, they consider the rhinoceros one of the more deadly animals, and you see them headed your direction looking pretty angry. Does that give you a little bit more focus? That helps you find a direction, huh? You're trying to get out of there at this point. Limits can be like those angry rhinos, and the bigger they are, the faster they're charging, the more direction and focus we find. When you are up against a tight deadline, when you lack resources, and you have this goal that you want to achieve... You tend to focus on the resources you do have and try and find substitutes for the ones that you don't. But again, you get some focus and direction. Which leads to the third lesson, which is that limits can push us into asking for help and getting another perspective. Now, I have always talked about how important diversity is. And I'm not talking just about gender diversity or um or cultural diversity. I'm talking about age, uh, background, vocation, industry, things like that, where they can add their experience, background, understanding to the project at hand. Now, I like to be in control as much as the next person. For me, that means not really wanting to ask for help. But when I include other people, especially a diverse group of other people, it can help to bridge my personal limits. It can help me find ideas and perspectives I would have not normally been able to. And it helps me to get to my goal faster. Now, that doesn't mean that I include just anybody or allow anybody's input into the project. I also don't go around asking the entire team for their opinion. If you ask two designers, you're bound to get five opinions. And so I only ask the people that I believe care enough about the project, want to have enough understanding, and want to put the energy behind their thoughts before they start answering. That doesn't always mean I get great feedback. It also doesn't mean that the five opinions from two designers is not valid either. It just means that I have to take the time to filter the advice and responses that I'm getting. But I would have not gotten such a variety of responses if I only asked people who believed or thought the way I do. There have been quite a few times when I've asked an engineer or a software developer for design advice, and it was the best thing to do because they have a deeper understanding of what is possible with components or with, um, with the code that opens me up to more possibilities. As limits kind of push us to ask for help, get a variety of understandings, they help us to move outside of our little bubble. For example, if you're working on a project for I don't know, the medical industry, you might start exploring solutions from you know, the toy industry. 
And as I was saying earlier, the Stanford students were looking at old-fashioned toys as a way to replace lab equipment. So they did just that. So it might sound crazy on the face of it, but it's exactly the idea behind sites like Innocentive.com, which is a site that I really enjoy looking at. I've never been able to solve one of their challenges. But people from all different backgrounds work to solve problems that are typically outside of their own industry. And if you do look at the people who do solve the problems, they have a wide range of, of backgrounds and insights that they can apply towards these problems. But seeing a problem through the lens of another industry can greatly expand what you know is possible and help you find solutions that you would otherwise miss. As the old saying goes, if all you have is a hammer, every problem is a nail, or you see every problem as a nail. And so finding people with different, a different mental tool set, if you will, will help you see the problem, see the, the project, and see the limits that you're running into in a different way. But finally, and I touched on this earlier, working around limits can help boost your confidence. The more solutions that you find, the more you believe you will find solutions. And so the more limits you blow past or work around and can be proud of moving past, the more solutions you will know that you can find. You know, as a, a newly independent adult, fresh out of school, I slowly learned that I could handle the limits that life threw my way. I even eventually started to believe that I could handle it, whatever it was at the time. But this trick is also to stay humble and to not start believing you always have the right answer. Because overconfidence is just as harmful as not enough confidence. And that was something that I learned the hard way. So it's not to say that those limits don't get annoying or tiresome, just that you know that you will eventually be able to find a way around them. You know, and I still do get frustrated when life throws another limit my way. But again, I know I can handle it, even if I might need to get some help. So for those times when you find yourself on your own with little direction, give yourself some limits, especially if you find that you also have all the resources that you need. Uh, give yourself some limits. And then once you give yourself those limits, it's critical that you give yourself the right direction and focus. And my two favorite questions to give any project the right direction and focus are, what is the end result I'm going for? And how will that be a benefit, especially a benefit to the people using it? And with some empathy and some thought, you'll be able to answer those questions. And then from there, you can do your research and start working towards a solution. But again, if you find yourself in the relatively rare position of having essentially all the resources that you need, why not limit them? Limit, limit the amount of time that you have or lower your budget? Now, I would never say to limit the number of people you have, but perhaps you can limit the input that you get from certain people. And as I touched on earlier, I think it is vital to clarify that not all limits are good or can be worked around without some serious modification. Now, every project requires some amount of time, money, and knowledgeable people. You can limit any one of those you want, but no more. Uh, if you limit time, you better have enough money and people to get the job done quickly. 
And even with projects that I had no budget, the infrastructure was already in place. And I had a team that could help me take on some of the load. And my team worked around the time issue by getting our client to agree to upgrades over the following weeks and months. There were plenty of times where I lacked people to help me. There were times where I was essentially a team of one. But I always had the time and I always had the resources, so money or technical resources, to get the job done. And even when I didn't have the time, I still had all the resources I needed that essentially made up for that lack of time. I also found creative ways to kind of stage the release of the project so that I worked around the time issue myself. So while the, there were no people at all, just me, I did have time. I did have resources. Maybe not as much as I wanted, but they did exist. And I only had to get a little creative to work around all of that. But there are times where I lacked the money, the people, and the time to get things done properly. And I was never shy about telling a client that I believed that their project was gonna fail. I cautioned them to either change the limits or to do something else. In fact, one client, I cautioned them that not only did they not have enough time, but they didn't give me any budget. They thought I could figure it all out. And it was just me, so I didn't have the team I needed, the knowledgeable people I needed to execute on some of the more complex technical issues that they wanted to resolve. I cautioned them that their project was doomed to fail from the start and they needed to figure something out. And instead of being upset about this, they actually took the, that advice to heart and were willing to wait until they were able to come up with the resources that they needed. And by then I, was actually, I had moved on to other work and so I couldn't help them, but they were able to successfully execute that project. Now, I know most clients don't want to hear that you believe that their project won't work out or that you don't want to take it on because of the limits presented to you. But I always say that I'd rather have a client upset with me for saying no than angry with me on the back end for a bad result. Nothing good has ever come from me caving in and moving forward with a project and, and just essentially it all failing. It is always been horrible and and difficult and icky to borrow a word from a friend so uh <clears throat> i i have to say the negative long tail of a project is simply not worth it conversely the long tail of the positive is always worth it it is always worth that happy client that continues on with you and uh and gives you good press essentially a good word of mouth so what do you do to work past limits? And how have you overcome limits in the past? I think answering those questions will help you to see that you are capable of doing it, that you have done it in the past. And so you can continue on doing it in the future. So if I could leave you with just two thoughts, the first would be to start seeing limits the way I advocate people see failure and mistakes as lessons. Don't just accept limits. Use them as a sign or a guide to start looking for alternative solutions. Now, that is a skill that we all learn, and the more you practice, the better you'll get. But the good thing is that from what I've seen, we all tend to do it anyway, so you're probably well on your way. 
if you do feel that you are struggling, again, start by staying focused on the end results and benefits that you're going for. Most people explain things in terms of solutions they already understand. So in keeping with our earlier centrifuge lab equipment um, example, uh, let me give you an example. So one would be to say that we need to cost reduce microscopes by reducing the cost of materials and maybe removing some features. That is a solution that that person would already understand. They're trying to explain that the end result that they're going for is a cost reduced microscope. So if you translate that into an end result, it would be something more along the lines of, we want an extremely inexpensive way to see objects such as blood samples. It will need to be used in remote locations, so it needs to be compact, lightweight, and very inexpensive. So now you're saying that those are the benefits that you're going for, along with this end result of an extremely inexpensive way to see objects. So you're not really actually mentioning the solution of microscopes anywhere. That really will open you up to all sorts of possibilities. At that point, it's just really your job to start exploring all those millions of possibilities. And you can do that by starting to ask some really important questions, such as, does it really have to be? Does it really have to be a microscope? What if it was something else? What if it was just made out of some simple material? And that, those are the kind of questions that the Stanford students were asking in their original project for the centrifuge. So uh, start asking those, but you can also start asking why. So why is still an important question. I've talked about it in the past. But you can ask things like, why am I pursuing the directions I'm pursuing? Why don't I start looking at alternative materials? Why can't it be made out of something very simple like paper, you know, or whatever, a sheet of plastic? I don't know. So those are some of the questions that I use to generate some ideas and start exploring alternative solutions. But again, seeing limits as lessons or a guide to start looking for alternatives is really where to start. And then again, ask, does it have to be, why, and what if? Well, I hope you got something out of everything I was saying today, and I will talk to you later. Have a great day. Bye. While I have you here, if you are ready to go to that next step and learn more, check out my book, Play to Innovate. You will find it on Amazon.com. Just search for Play to Innovate, and you will find the book. If you would like to set up a workshop for your group or your company, let me know at brett at fivepebblesllc.com. That's B-R-E-T at fivepebblesllc.com. Those two to three hour dynamic workshops are hands-on training that will take you step-by-step through one of your projects. We will better define that project as end results and benefits. You'll also look at the things that might be holding you or your company back so that you can better change them. We will then go through a dynamic, fun, play to innovate session to find solutions for your project. And then the follow-up will be a time for Q&A and to better define those solutions we found in the play to innovate game session. Everybody will leave feeling fully equipped to use the techniques and mindset, not only to complete the project that we started in the workshop, but also on their future work. So again, if you are ready to set up a workshop, contact me at bret at fivepebblesllc.com. That's the number five, 
pebblesllc.com. Talk to you later. Bye.